Jai Jai Sitchitanya Jai Anichananda Jai Adrita Chandajaya Gora Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Just a little water. Today I have not uh, chosen one particular topic for the uh, the lecture. Rather, I will uh, look at various books and take a little bit uh, from each of them. And in this way, uh, look at some topics related to the CC from various perspectives. And the first perspective is through uh, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Because Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he really did a tremendous amount of work in clarifying what actually um, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya uh, contained. And uh, he wrote many books, and particularly three books are very prominent. One is Harinam Chintamani, which is an expansion on a discussion uh, about the holy name with Haridas Thakur mentioned in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the house of Hiranya and Govardhan Majunda. And then Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur extends that discussion and, uh, in Harinam Chintamani and goes deeper into the meaning of the holy name. Uh, another major book of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur is the Sri Chaitanya Shikshamrita, which is, is again, it is a display of the philosophy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and various aspects thereof. And then we're coming to uh, Jaiva Dharma as the third book of, uh, of outstanding quality, which is a novel. And in that novel, there are many encounters with different personalities. Um, the novel is situated about 100 years after the disappearance of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And uh, it is in Bengal. In, there are Vaishnavas living in Navadvip in, in the Nine Island area. And these Vaishnavas are followers of the six Goswamis, they are uh, living by the uh, by the Babaji standards of the six Goswamis, very simple and chanting uh, many, many, many lakhs of names, uh, either at least one or two lakhs every day. That is many, many names. They are very learned in philosophy and they get uh, different visitors so today we will uh, look at chapter 11 where during a gathering of Vaishnavas in, uh, in uh, I think it was Kodrumdweep, there was uh, a mullah, a Muslim mullah 
who visited along with some uh, some uh, associates. So the Vaishnavas were seated and were discussing the Chaitanya Manga, which later was known as Chaitanya Bhagavat, the pastimes of Lord Chaitanya. And just then, these Muslims arrived and they came on their horses and they dismounted the horses and, uh, well, uh, for a moment, everyone raised an eyebrow as to what is going on here. And then they introduced the mullah, who was a very learned scholar amongst them, and that the mullah had come because he wanted to have some discussion with some Vaishnavas and ask uh, some questions. So um, we'll start reading a little bit. Uh, so an arrangement was made that a number of the, uh, the Babaji's present would have an exchange with the mullah. The famous Mula Badrup Din Sahib humbly replied, Salam, we wish to ask you a few questions. Pandit Gorachan replied, as far as our knowledge allows, we will attempt to answer your profound inquiries. The Mula Sahib started, Dear brethren, history shows that Hindus have since the dawn of time worshipped many devas and devis. However, we read in our sacred book, the Quran Sharif, that Allah is one, not many. He is formless and that to sculpt his image and then to worship such an image is a grievous sin. To eradicate this doubt, I have inquired among many Brahmana Pandits. They all agree with us that Allah is nirakar, formless. But they argue that since it is impossible to meditate upon a formless entity, so an imaginary form of Allah must be made to facilitate meditation. Allah should then be worshipped in that form. However, we are not satisfied with this answer. The Quran states that an invented material image of Allah, uh, we call it butte, matter is the work of Satan. Butte parasta, idol worship, is absolutely forbidden. Far from pleasing Allah, it rather brings down his wrath. We have heard that the original propagator of your religion, Sri Chaitanya Dev, has pruned out the discrepancies in the Hindu religion. Yet he also supports butte parasta. Therefore, we have come to ask the Vaishnavas why they have not given up Bhut Parasta, despite having delved so deeply into the scriptures. The Vaishnava Pandits were inwardly amused by the thoughts of the Mula Sahib. However, they requested Gorachan Babaji to reply, who quickly accepted this responsibility. The Great One, whom you call Allah, is known to us as Bhagavan. The Supreme Being is one, and of the same absolute nature, even though the sacred texts of the Quran and the Puranas have designated him by different names according to their different languages and countries. Naturally, whatever nomenclature describes the Supreme Godhead is the best and most accurate manner is to be preferred. For this reason, we prefer the name Bhagavan to other names such as Allah, Brahman, Paramatma, and so on. Allah means the one being who is the greatest above everything and everything everyone and everything. However, we do not consider that a name indicating the quality of insurpassable greatness alone can be considered the ultimate name for the absolute supreme personality since we do not consider greatness as the highest or most inclusive 
description of the Lord. Rather, we consider that the name that indicates most comprehensively the Chamat Karita, that means infinite wonder and uniqueness of the Supreme Person, of the Supreme Lord's unlimited opulence, should take precedence. So um, the discussion begins and um, they, uh, obviously the Vaishnavas worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And uh, whereas the Mula is coming from an impersonal approach to the absolute truth. Uh, because generally the interpretation of the uh, of the Quran uh, amongst Muslim scholars is, is of an impersonal nature. Mm. Although uh, personalism may also be there in the Quran. Mm. So first that is addressed. Samagra mm. Aiswarya, uh, absolute opulence, which includes Absolute magnitude and infinite minuteness plus unlimited further opulence is only the first of the aspects of Godhead, indicated by the name Bhagavan. Sarva Shakti Mata, omnipotence, is the second aspect of the Lord, indicated by the name Bhagavan. Mm. So, the, by his achintya shakti, by his inconceivable potency, the Lord is simultaneously nirakar and sakar or with form and without form. Uh, so personal. To say that the Lord is exclusively Nirakar impinges upon this inconceivable omnipotence. Um, or we may say in a more simple way, um, we see that everywhere in this world is form. Right? So to say that the Supreme Lord has no form, we would limit him uh, because form is everywhere. So why would, if form is possible to, to exist, then why would, uh, why would he, if he is all-inclusive, not include form? Uh, but impersonal energy is also possible. So he's also existing in, in that manifestation. And therefore, he is achintya beda beda tattva, simultaneously uh, one and many, or simultaneously uh, the personality, and simultaneously the impersonal energy. Hmm. So then he says, uh, the third aspect that the name Bhagavan indicates is that he's eternally Mangal Mahaya, all auspicious, and Yasapurna, all famous, thus his pastimes are fully nectarious. Uh, yes. Um, so qualities are now attributed to, to the Lord, and these qualities are all auspicious, and he is all famous. The fourth aspect denoted by the term Bhagavatam is unlimited sondarya, beauty. The devoted living entities, by acquisition of spiritually purified vision, can behold this beatific form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead as the reservoir 
of all beauty. Um, we can see that beauty has a great power upon all uh, upon living beings. Uh, um, even even animals seem to be affected by it, and human beings even to a greater extent. And beauty um, seems to uh, relate to us, and even uh, even bring out a sense of uh, almost sacredness uh, or saintliness. Uh, when we see something of great, great beauty, then artists come forward and write poetry about it. Painters are painting, photographers are, are coming to capture that extraordinary moment. And everyone is just looking at this wonderful, very beautiful sight, and feels emotionally touched. Mm. So uh, that is very interesting how our emotional experience is connected to beauty. Uh, it's not just analytically saying, oh, that's very beautiful, but we become emotionally uh, touched by this this sense of great aesthetics. Mm. That uh, emotion is, is there because ultimately beauty belongs to the Supreme Lord and beauty is a manifestation of the Supreme Lord. And therefore it does manifest his sacredness and that beauty is a quality that can just capture every living being who is just stunned and overwhelmed in, in witnessing it. And the devotee can just look again and again at this unlimited beauty. And in this way, experiencing uh, great overwhelming emotions. Hmm. So then, uh, and then the Babaji continued, the fifth aspect indicated by Bhagavan is that the Supreme Lord is the embodiment of Asesha Gyan, unlimited knowledge. This implies that he's absolutely immaculate, perfect and complete, the embodiment of transcendence, the supreme spiritual object and materially inscrutable. Uh, yeah, obviously the Supreme Lord, uh, if he's all powerful, has to be uh, omniscient, all knowing, abhigya. He must be um, an unlimited reservoir of knowledge. Uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita confirms this. I know everything that is to be known. And the Vedas are represented as, representing this in Vedanta Krit Vedavit Evacham. Uh, I am the knower. Of, of the Vedas and of the benefits of the Vedas. Vedas then being the source of all knowledge. So the Lord is, is himself the source of the Vedas and he, dharmam to, dharmam to saksat bhagavat pranitam. And he is then the origin of all knowledge, the reservoir of all knowledge. The sixth aspect indicated by Bhagavan is that even as the Isvara of the entire creation, the Lord remains 
disentangled, aloof from everything, and fully independent by virtue is excellent of renunciation. So does have enunciated the six primary characteristics of Bhagavan, opulence, power, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. So then he says, if we, uh, then he begins to speak about the deity. He says the, the deity worship of the Vaishnavas can certainly cannot be defined as butparasta, satanic material idol worship. The description of butparasta given in certain texts is not an absolute and all-compassing law to be applied without discrimination to bona fide deity worship of the transcendental form of the Lord. Um, so he makes a distinction, and that distinction comes out more later, between authorized forms and between uh, forms that are concocted. Uh, such concocted forms are demoniac, are, uh, are butte, are materialistic, and, uh, and, and are part of the domain of Maya uh, and are binding the living being in the uh, material energy and are to be rejected. But the form of the deity is different. Mm. The pure method of worshipping the Supreme Lord's transcendental deity form is certainly not possible for the general populace. Only those qualified persons who have over who having overcome the influence of matter and are transcendentally situated and can thus conceptualize spiritual form should perform deity worship. Uh, I earnestly entreat you to give this subject deep thought. Okay, so deity worship is meant for those who have understood transcendence and who are not only worshiping an image, but who are actually um, seeing the image being manifest or the image being the manifestation of the transcendental nature of the Lord, his personality, uh, his qualities, his himself entering into the heart of all living beings and him being the all-pervading energy. And all that being included in the deity, uh, seeing that it all springs forth forth from the original personal form of the Lord, the devotees are worshipping the personal personal form of the Lord um, according to the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh -huh. uh, I, the Mula Sahib, I've seriously considered your points and I can say that the six primary absolute attributes possessed by he who is called Bhagavan are likewise mentioned in our Quran Sharif in describing Allah. Therefore, let us not overly dissect and analyze the etymology of the name Allah. Allah is Bhagavan, the possessor of unlimited opulence. Gurachan Babaji. Very good. Then you accept that the Supreme Being possesses divine beauty. Thus, you affirm that beyond this material creation, a spiritual world exists where the Supreme Lord resides as the embodiment of beauty. This very form of sublime, transcendental exquisiteness is the deity that we worship. Mullah Sahib. Our holy Quran Sharif also states that the Supreme Being 
possesses an absolute spiritual body, hence there is no cause for rebuttal. However, when one tries to make an image of that absolute transcendental form of Allah or Bhagavan, the image becomes a material replica. This we call Butte. Worshipping Butte is not the same as worshipping the Supreme Lord. Now kindly explain your viewpoint on this subject. Gurchan Babaji. The Vaishnava scripture espoused the worship of the pure and transcendental deity form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The elevated devotees are not permitted to worship material objects. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.84.13 is saying one who identifies himself as the inert body composed of mucus, bile and air who assumes his wife and family are permanently his own, who thinks that an earthen image or the land of his birth are worshipable, or sees a place of pilgrimage as merely the water there, but who never identifies himself with, feels kinship with, worships, visits, or hears from those sadhus residing at the place of pilgrimage who are wise in spiritual truth, such a person is no better than a cow or an ass. All right, it, 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 it gets a little lengthy, so I have to uh, cut it a little short. Then he gives a explanation of how uh, the, de the deity is a sculpted earthly deity form and is ultimately identical. Uh, oh. No, I have to start it here. A neophyte, Kanista Adhikari, who is at the bottom of the scale of eligibility, is unable to perceive Sudha Chinmaya above, or the pure transcendental experience. If he meditates upon the Lord within his mind, the image of the Lord he construes within his consciousness, being a fabricated form, is clearly endowed with mundane qualities. To assume divinity in a sculpted earthly deity form, is ultimately identical to the neophyte's meditation upon an image of the Supreme Lord created within his mind from his contaminated material consciousness. This is not the pure form of deity worship. Nevertheless, for the neophyte, such deity worship is beneficial. Indeed, the absence and prohibition of such deity worship for the general ignorant mass of people is auspicious. For when spiritual neophyte people somehow become inspired to approach the Supreme Lord, if they do not find a deity form of him, they may feel disappointed and disconsolate. Um, so that is interesting how Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur is acknowledging that also uh, the uh, Kanista is the devotee who is influenced by the material energy. He's practicing Krishna consciousness, but his consciousness is still covered. So whatever concept he has of the Supreme Lord will carry the imperfections of his material consciousness and he will project that on the image. And therefore, such a person cannot, cannot see uh, the actual Lord as he is. So how can he carve a deity of the Lord as he is? Huh? And, uh, and still... Uh, it said that there is. Uh, well, let's read a little further, and then I'll start coming, commenting. Um. The religions which have no provision for deity worship face the danger that those children born into the religion 
and those just beginning spiritual life, both of whom may have little or no understanding or deep faith in God, may become overtly materialistic and even develop aversion towards the Supreme Lord as, as a result of absence of a deity form upon which to fix their minds. Therefore, deity worship is the foundation, is the foundation of religion for general humanity. The Mahajans, highly elevated, unalloyed devotees of the Lord, perceive the beautiful spiritual form of the Supreme Lord by dint of their pure consciousness and perfect realization. These Mahajans constantly meditate upon and worship this sublime, their, this sublime and transcendental form of the Lord, whom they see within their hearts, saturated with prema bhakti. After long and deep meditation upon the transcendental form of the Lord, eventually the consciousness of the pure devotee extends to see the Lord's presence within all objects of even the material world. Out of mercy, these pure devotees delineate the transcendental divine form of the Lord both verbally and physically in the deity form. Thus, on the basis of the instructions of the realized pure devotees, were forever guarded, forever guided from within by the Lord Himself, the deity form, an exact replica of the spiritual form of the Lord, is portrayed externally in the material world as non-different from the transcendental supreme Lord. Okay, so now we had two categories. We had the neophyte, and the neophyte was uh, projecting imperfections on an image and could only worship an image with imperfections. But such a neophyte is still benefited from such worship because uh, the focus is on the Supreme Lord. It's not limited to only the image. Rather, behind it, there is a full concept of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the all-pervading Supreme Person, and they worship the deity as the Supreme Lord. Um, then there's a second category, and that's the Mahajans. And the Mahajans, the great soul, self-realized, prema bhaktas, they are worshipping, uh, they're deeply meditating on the Supreme Lord, they can actually perceive the deity, and then they are, um, they are guiding the less advanced devotees in uh, in how deities are carved, how deities are worshipped, how deities are to be seen. And such Mahajans, they are seeing the Supreme Lord present in matter in the first place. Uh, um, Prabhupada had an interesting discussion like that with Allen Ginsberg. Um, Alice Ginsberg, the hippie poet, and Allen Ginsberg was bringing out this point that in many religions this uh, idea of deity worship is not acceptable because it is felt that how is it possible to capture spirit in a material form? And, and Prabhupada uh, responded, and, and well, Allen Ginsberg was sort of getting ready for a somewhat of a, of a real discussion. He was just throwing up a ball and like planning to, you know, go up and down. And Prabhupada just responded to it and said, matter doesn't exist. Finished. Next topic. 
And he just, uh, and that's the Uttama Adhikari vision, the Mahajans who are devotees filled with Prem, who see the Lord present in matter. Uh, and therefore, uh, so, and then later in the discussion, uh, it is addressed this idea that butte or a material thing is simply a product of Satan who is trying to uh, uh, to corrupt the religious practitioner and that therefore such images are, are, are to be highly con detestable and, uh, and uh, are to be... Uh, and, and are to be strictly forbidden. So, uh, but we remember that Bhaktivinoda Thakur uh, in this chapter had made a distinction that he said, no, there are the general imaginary forms and they are of that nature, uh, detestable and distracting from the true spiritual goal. But then there are these forms which are made under the direction of the great transcendental Vaishnavas and then worshipped by the more neophyte devotees who in this way can elevate themselves to a higher spiritual platform and even the, uh, even the Mahajas themselves are seeing how the Lord is also manifesting through these forms and therefore they are also worshipping these forms. And so we see how, uh, but these forms have nothing to do with the imitate, imitative forms. And we see how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then is also worshipping so many deities, visiting so many temples, and that deity worship and temple worship is very much part of his teachings, and, and that it's said it is one of the five principal processes that can very quickly uh, awaken love of God. Then uh, this devil element right, is also addressed a little later in the chapter where, uh, where, this, where Bhaktivedanta Thakur lets the Babaji's say that the devil doesn't exist. Um, well, uh, the Abrahamic religions, they indeed, they have very much this concept of a devil who is in competition with the Supreme Lord and uh, sometimes it's the devil who wins and sometimes the Lord who wins and it's a big big tussle and uh, and what to do in this situation uh, so ultimately the Lord wins but uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of struggle uh, a lot of struggle and uh, and the devil is is always ready to try again uh, in, uh, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it is not seen like that. It is said that the illusory energy is the, the Maya energy is controlled by Maya Devi, who is also an agent, a devotee of Krishna, but who is testing, who is testing the devotion of the living being and who keeps the non-devotee uh, covered in the material energy until you know they 
somehow or other receive the mercy of a, of a devotee and then they can, uh, can gradually come out of this covering. But on the spiritual path, there will be testing because ultimately um, this testing by Maya is simply there to uh, bring the living entity to greater levels of, uh, of surrender uh, to the point where the living being grows. Uh, just as in this world, exercise uh, brings strength. So Maya forces us to overcome our limitations in, uh, in our attempt to uh, surrender. Well, then uh, we are looking at, um, yeah. Um, so in Vaishnavism, yes, we don't see that there is an entity who, who is in competition with the Supreme Lord. It is all part of the arrangement of the Supreme Lord. And uh, yes, matter in itself right, is, is, is the energy of the Lord completely spiritual. So if the Lord takes the form of a deity and that deity form is carved according to direction of scripture and is worshipped according to direction of scripture and, and realized Vaishnavas, then uh, that worship, uh, then in that worship, the Supreme Lord is fully manifest. And like this, uh, the deity may be uh, may be worshipped but no idol worship is permitted idol worship is thoroughly condemned but the worship of an authorized deity is acceptable and that's basically uh, uh, so this 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 uh, this question of, of deity worship now came up here in this book but uh, in the context of uh, of Islam and and uh, but as we said before, Abrahamic religions have a difficulty with uh, with idol worship, uh, and uh, we remember the golden calf in the Bible, uh, and uh, and 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 that uh, yeah in in the land of. Uh, Kanan, a golden calf was worshipped and that this was totally condemned, right? It's very interesting that in, it is described in the 10th canto of Bhagavatam how Krishna, early in the morning, is looking at statues of cows um, and that statues of cows are, uh, are placed on the altars of, of, uh, of the devotees and uh, of Krishna, and uh, along with Krishna, and that uh, such cows, even by themselves, are considered to be auspicious, and that statues of cows are actually worshipable, as cows themselves are worshipable. Right? However, not worshipable as the Supreme Lord. So when they were worshipping the golden calf, it was not in itself such a problem that a statue of a calf was worshipped because the calf is a sacred animal. But the mistake was 
to see the calf as the Supreme Lord. So we could understand that it was degraded culture and, and that therefore, but that the root of it, to worship the calf, is appropriate as a, as a sacred animal, which is in goodness and which brings uh, benedictions to society in so many ways. Uh, now, uh, to me, uh, even as, as, as a child, the sacred cow puzzled me very much. I read a comic book and in that comic book, there was a sacred cow and I couldn't get it. I go, why is the cow sacred? It's something that puzzled my mind. Huh? But now, in, in a more modern context, in a, in a context of, uh, of uh, big ecological problems where Mother Earth is going through so much trouble due to the uh, pollution and so on, uh, and then we look at the cow, then we look at a society that is based on, on maintaining cows, then we see the cow provides, provides milk, the cow provides cow dung, and so milk for food, the bull plows the field. In this way, a society that is based on protecting the cow is basically having uh, an ecologically harmonious solution to life. We see the cows uh, were used to pull carts that could bring goods to the market and the cows, the, the, that's the bulls, uh, bullocks, and uh, they would plow the field and the cows are being milked. Uh, we see that people eat the grains, the, 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 the animals, they eat the straw. Right? So in this way, uh, the hay, the grass. Uh, so in this way, the is one of of great balance. When the the dun is used for fertilizing the fields, it's the best fertilizer, a harmonious fertilizer, a non-toxic fertilizer. So actually, the society based on uh, on cow protection is a completely uh, harmonious society. Uh, ecologically speaking, uh, whereas, you know, our current society is obviously um, always in, in, in a battle with the environment. Mm. A, we all need plants to grow and uh, the answer is chemicals and so on and genetic engineering and name it all. So that's not an harmonious approach. So, uh, the deity, um, the deity is uh, of, of cows are also auspicious uh, because cows are actually related to Krishna in his eternal spiritual reality uh, and deity, but they are not comparable to deity forms of Krishna directly. The deity forms of Krishna are worshipable. And it's interesting, um, as we are looking at the deity forms of Krishna, we can clearly see that there are all kinds of artist impressions, um, deity forms, drawings, and they're all different. Like uh, 
Some deities are a little more round. Uh, some look even a little on the overweight side, whereas others are, you know, slim and, and so on. And we see all these different uh, features in deities. We see black deity forms of Krishna. We see white deity forms of Krishna. We see metal deity forms of Krishna, which are golden. And so, uh, you know, how are you going to worship a black Krishna in a white form? How are you going to worship a black Krishna in a golden form? Is it, so all these things are fine. So although we see a great variety in the deity forms, and say, so, yeah, but one of them, maybe one of them, would look exactly like Krishna. But then the other ones wouldn't. So then one would perfectly represent Krishna and the other one would not represent Krishna. But that's not the issue. Uh, the issue is that Krishna is manifest in the material energy and that Krishna accepts this, this form made of material energy by, human, by a human being who, in whatever state of consciousness he may be, uh, you know, or is working on the direction of scripture, how to carve, and under the direction of, of experts, how to carve, how to worship the deity, all these things are determined and, uh, in scripture. <laughs> and by exalted Vaishnavas. Then, uh, then we may worship the deity. And even although the deities have differences amongst them, it doesn't matter because Krishna is accepting the service through that form. Krishna is reciprocating through that form. And why, why not? Krishna can manifest himself through, uh, through any, anything, but particularly through the form of himself, uh, he's manifesting himself. So it's not just the form, but Krishna actually is manifesting himself through the form. And in this way, the form is considered to be non-different from him. Hmm. So that's an important point to understand in this story of Bhaktivinoda Thakur is raising the issue. And it's... it's uh, and in facing Abrahamic religions, uh, we have to again and again uh, explain how this is not idol worship and why this is not idol worship. So it is a very central, deity worship is a very central element to Vedic culture and it remained equally central in the culture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. And therefore we can see uh, that today's discussion is also uh, also relevant. Mm. Um, interesting, interesting element that came up in this discussion. Uh, Another interesting element that came up in this discussion is um, 
just let me just uh, when the uh, Muslim replies um, let's just see where that is one second it's further back yeah Our, also, our Holy Quran, Sharif, also states that the Supreme Being possesses an absolute spiritual body. Uh, hence, there is no cause for rebuttal. So this point is also uh, addressed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the discussion with the Chantkazi. Um, so it's interesting, Bhaktivinoda Thakur uh, makes it up, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was explaining to the Chantkazi, that is in Chaitanya Bhagavad, when the Chantkazi was stopping the Kirtan in the house of Srivas, then there was a big protest march to the house of the Kazi, and then there was a big discussion with the Kazi. And then this also came up, uh, that, the, uh, that according to the Quran, the Supreme Lord, has a spiritual body, a form, so that he's not just formless, because generally uh, Islamic scholars are explaining the uh, Quran in an impersonal way. And impersonalism has deeply entered into Islam and partially through Sufis who have associated with impersonalists in India because we're seeing Sufis who have produced literature after having been in India and having interacted with India, which give impersonal interpretations of Islam. Um, I unfortunately uh, would have to do a little bit more research here um, to find the actual references in the Quran. I have looked for it in the past, but I have not found and so easily. And then I put that back on the shelf. But I think for this book that we want to ultimately produce out of these lectures, I want to try to really crack this or to really find someone who has references, about direct quotes from the Quran, describing that the Supreme Being possesses an absolute spiritual body. That would be really uh, a great asset. If there is someone amongst my listeners who has some information on this, uh, then I would be very happy if you could send it to me to save me the time uh, and energy to research this. Mm. It's uh, ultimately uh, the Lord is manifesting himself through the deity. Because this deity worship is, and it is not just conducted casually, deity worship is, is executed according to strict rules and regulations. Um, when the deity appears, the deity brings the spiritual world also, that also manifests. So he is the whole spiritual reality. And then we come in as conditioned souls who are not really qualified to enter into the spiritual realm, 
But after certain training and after uh, a proper philosophical understanding, we are given certain initiations and we are allowed to serve on the altar, but only according to prescribed rules and regulations because uh, we are not really qualified to be in that spiritual realm. But by acting strictly according to these rules and regulations, we can offer our service to the Lord there. And through that, we develop our uh, a concept of actually rendering personal service. Um, it is said to be a personal servant uh, is, is what is required. Uh, we discussed that there is dasya and that there is servitorship, dasya. And that there is two types, the general servitorship and the servitorship of a personal attendant, kinkar. And that service of the personal attendant, that is what is uh, highlighted by the Gaudiya Vaishnavas uh, or the Chaitanya Vaishnavas. That is our business to become the personal attendant of the Lord, not to just serve him, but to serve him according to the particular need in the situation, yeah, as he requires it, and or as his representative requires it, as the spiritual master requires it. So in this way, uh, today we discuss something about uh, not only about deity worship, and uh, questioning it uh, in, in the, from the perspective of idol worship, but we also looking, are looking at the Chaitanya Charitamrita and at the teachings of Lord Chaitanya through, through the eyes of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Uh, and to see through that lens that Bhaktivinoda Thakur has given us in the form of this book is deepening our understanding of the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so there are many other references that are all in that category. And so we hope uh, to uh, discuss more of them in the coming days. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.